It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. That's the breaking news sound. That's George People is loving are saying it. that's the sound that is made when news breaks. That's that's exactly right. So the breaking news as of the recording of this Dubcast. On July 2nd, 2023, Ohio State has just landed a five-star commit tackle. Justin Scott coming at you. Um, Five-star defensive tackle commit. A lot of people had him maybe to Notre Dame, maybe to Michigan. Instead, he said, nah, screw that, and is coming to Columbus. Larry Scott wins again. And I got to tell you something. People who might have been a little bit concerned about the defensive recruiting uh, at Ohio State, uh, this is one of those commits that I think will make people who are on that get real quiet real fast. This dude is really good. Um, I think he meshes very well with what Jim Knowles wants to do defensively. You're not – it's it's not, it's no longer like let's rely on these edge rusher kind of thing. This guy's an interior lineman all the way. You look at his uh, film and he's just – he's a man among boys. This is kind of a surprise the 2nd of July, which I think people, some people, I know Berm was saying that, um, you know, it might not be until like the end of the season, the end of the upcoming football season, or maybe the beginning or something like that. Uh, a lot of people, like I said, had him pegged towards Notre Dame or Michigan. The guy's a Chicago dude, and not typically a hotbed of Ohio State recruiting. So a lot of things were happening with this. And what I find really interesting is some of the comments that you saw uh, from him after his commit, and this is from Hayes Fawcett, and they posted this on Twitter, so hopefully you haven't reached your cap yet and you can read it yourself. But uh, Hayes said it was a close battle between Michigan and Ohio State leading up to Scott's commitment. Um, he texted Fawcett uh, saying that on his official visit to Michigan, he'd be committing today. And at first it was going to be Michigan, and this is the quote from, from Hayes Fawcett. Uh, going into the visit, my fan was heavily set on Michigan. Throughout the Ohio State visit, they were still set on Michigan. But towards the end of it, Coach Johnson sat us down and went over an in-depth plan that they had for me. I find that very interesting because two or three years ago, somebody, a recruit says that, all right, well, I committed because of the in-depth plan that the um, you know the team had created for me. You would have basically two things here that you'd be thinking about, some kind of impropriety or – uh, they have like severely like they know exactly how they're going to play this guy. They really have to meet a need at a position and he's going to be starting right away. Now, in 2023, when I hear that, I immediately think NIL. And how did Michigan and how did Notre Dame fail to compete with Ohio State in the NIL realm for this guy? And was that a significant factor? So that's a question I think that remains to be answered as we go through this. Now, obviously, there's still a lot of time before this guy ends up like suiting up for Ohio State. But um, I think that this is a I think it's a factor. And I think it's another indication that Ohio State is still dominating, at least regionally in that uh, particular arena. I don't think you're necessarily wrong about it as it applies to Michigan, because we did just see. um them lose a four-year four three i don't know but uh they they lost their best basketball player to kansas because uh they couldn't get them enough money right. so we know michigan is having uh similar struggles in that department to uh what ohio state had been experiencing before uh some rather recent turnarounds so i don't think that you're necessarily wrong there 
Um, I will say you did make a, an interesting point that this is a, a rather rare high caliber Chicago get for Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And I, I am someone that grew up in Chicago, which is a rather unheralded nest of Michigan fans. I don't know how many people that's, are pretty That's there. right. I mean, it's it's either Northwestern or Michigan, but both of them hate Ohio State because, you know, they're they're the nerds compared to, you know, the, the pizza delivery boys of Columbus. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. You got to have somebody you can lord over, and that's, exactly. that's why they've chosen so, Ohio so I So I grew up around these people. So I, I have been forged in the fire of hatred because I did not grow up around fellow Ohio State fans. I know it is hard for the Ohio State brand to shine through in Chicago and the Chicago right. land. So, and you know what? Illibuck doesn't help either because as soon as you get out of the town, it's all, it, it's Champaign, right. Illinois, everywhere else in that state. So right. for Ohio to get, you know, they've done well in basketball. EJ Liddell, former Mr. Uh, Illinois basketball. Uh, so they, Ohio State had, you know, slowly managed their way in, I think, uh, in, in recent years and have, have done more well across the Midwest and nationally. But I think that in terms of football, this is a really positive step in that direction on a national scale. Chicago like doesn't really have the kind of, I think football prospect output that you would think it does. It, that has perhaps changed in recent years. Uh, I'm just more speaking about when I was growing up Um but I do believe that signing like this is a very, very positive uh, indication of the the regional recruiting strength Ohio State has now beyond what it's got just within its own borders. So this is a very, very, very positive sign of optimism for Ohio State fans on the recruiting front. We should not look at it as anything less than that. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, right now, if you're looking at a national level, Georgia, I think, is still uh, basically the number one uh, recruiting class in the 2024 recruiting cycle. But a lot of that is due to just more recruits. That's just volume, right? Like Ohio State's got more five stars at this point. Uh, Georgia has a, you know, a butt ton of three stars that they're bringing in. And I think that adds to their overall. Um, but, you know, if you look at this, the, First of all, one of the things that I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention, Air Nolan just got reclassified to a five-star, which is pretty cool to see. Um, and probably largely strength on the strength of that, um, you know, that really great camp performance. He had a five-star name, so I don't, you yeah, know, it was right. kind of inevitable. How do you, how do you just that. leave that guy with four stars next to his name? Air yeah. Nolan? Yeah, you got to give that dude the extra star. Um, so... That's pretty great. Um, Justin Scott, I mean, you look at this guy's film, like I said, he's kind of a man among boys. You you know what? The thing about it is, though, for me, and and when we talk about like recruiting and and guys that are being brought in, it's it's the fit, right? It's, It's who you want to work with in the system. It's how these guys get along. And again, we've talked about this, the camaraderie that you see amongst these guys uh, and, and how it kind of works out. Uh, is really, really strong. And I think that's something that Ohio State and, you know, Brian Day and company really try to develop. And it's been funny to see some of the the tweets. Uh, for example, um, <laughs> James Peoples, he's a, you know, he's a four-star uh, running back commit. Uh, just saying that, like, he said, like, the Team Up North fans got me rolling. He's posted that on Twitter. Uh, it's, 
it's just one of those things that you you join the club once you commit you join the club and i think there's a lot of guys who are really excited about that also uh as as uh told to us by garrick and if you check out uh on the 24 uh, 7 uh <laughs> website uh dylan stewart Five star. He's an edge, and he's he's a guy who's definitely going to grow into that role. And if you look at his, um, he's a big guy. He's tall, but he's not super like built. Uh, so he's going to, I think, get it even better than he already is. But he's a five star edge. Uh, he got fonged. So <laughs> Steve Whiffong, well yeah, fonged. No, we're not uh, calling it crystal balled anymore. After no, Garrick, Garrick has blessed us with the term fonged, and that's, that's what right. We're he going just got with. fonged, baby. So. Uh, if if Ohio State is able to add another five star, another defensive lineman, uh, that's I mean I don't know how much longer Larry Scott's or Larry Scott, goodness, Larry Johnson's going to be around at Ohio State, hopefully permanently. I don't know how they can manage that, but let's say he's in you know the last few years here, um, he's going out on one hell of a high note. And it's, we've it's we've taken awesome Larry Johnson hair samples and we've cloned him for future generations. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Underneath where the where the dorms used to be underneath Ohio Stadium are now just vats of Larry Johnson. There's there's just there's just a bunch of tubes lined up and cylinder and rows like these cylinders like uh, Luke Skywalker and uh, the Empire we're going to, Yes, we're going to preserve him in carbonite like hands. That's, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Thaw him out. Uh, I don't know wake, who John wake me when you need me. But yeah, man, I don't, I mean, like I said, I don't know if Larry Johnson's going to be around forever, but uh, he's been bringing in some big time recruits in the last few years and I'm really excited about it. So, um, you know, good on him, good on everybody else. This is obviously a little bit unexpected, but you know, a welcome surprise to be sure. So I think that's pretty awesome. The rich get richer. The rich get richer. And you know what? I can. Here's the thing, man. Sometimes I see on Twitter or Reddit or something like that all these like salty Notre Dame and Michigan fans, and I'm like, first of all, you don't get to pretend like you're the poor little. It's the same thing that like Dabo does at Clemson. Careful, you point. can't make a sisters of the poor joke about Notre Dame. The last guy that did that lost his job. That's fine. He I should don't, still I, be president. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I'll make that joke because you don't get to. You don't get to claim poverty if you're Michigan or Notre Dame. You don't get to say that. Oh, poor guy. We just, you know, we do we do things the right way, and that's why we're not getting these. You know, shut up. It's it's nil time. We're in the nil era. There's no like these are the cheaters, and then we're the good guys. Nil is kind of basically like it's codified all of those things. That you no. complain about Ohio State doing, it's it's now okay. Let, and so let you could do Mi- it if you wanted to. No, you have to let the Michigan and Notre Dame fans use their online classes excuse and throw a fit course, and whatever right. other narratives are going to come up because we'll just you know we'll keep delivering results and you know they'll right. they'll just keep throwing a fit and I I love to see it so go go ahead Notre Dame fans and throw a fit about Ohio State. With your coach, who I, I'm forgetting where that guy that was the <laughs> coach right. of Notre Dame played football at, and their uh, recently departed linebackers coach, yes. who has now since was... come back to uh, home, I believe. Yeah, perhaps uh, his alma mater. I don't know. We we're going to talk about later. Up. Actually, it has yeah, been contributing to the team. That's right. No, and I've and we've got some thoughts on that. But yeah, we've, another dude who's come back and, and made some pretty heavy contributions to Ohio State. And look, if I almost feel like Ohio State 
and Ryan Day and Pantone and all of them, I, I really do feel like they're playing the long game in a lot of ways with some of this stuff where they're like, okay, well, Larry Johnson's awesome. How do we like replicate that for the next like 40 to 50 years? So obviously that's, that's not something that's realistic. You can't, there's no sense, you know, there's no such thing as permanence in college football, but you got to find the next dude. And, um, you know, as we've kind of intimated and handed at here, I think Laurinaitis is that dude, at least for linebackers. Well, to that point, the the thing that is so spectacular about Larry Johnson is that people that have had that run of success in a positional coaching role tend to get elevated to coordinator status. Right. And he has just been very content to be like, I'm the best at this, and I don't need to go anywhere. So I'm just right. going to hang out and keep crushing it. That's a really nice thing to have for a football program for 10 years. That's how Saban built an empire in Alabama is because he had Kirby Smart basically, I don't want to say co-head coaching, but everybody feared that. I feared the name Kirby Smart more than Saban during most of that run, to be honest. I saw Saban as a loose cannon in a lot of those situations, especially when you would see Bama self-destructing. Kirby Smart was more of the steady hand, and he didn't. And I think part of the reason he could do that was because he was in that coordinator role where he didn't have as much pressure of dealing with the front of the Bama brand as Saban did. So having those coordinators that hang out and voluntarily take less authority when they're due for more of it, that's one of the reasons Ohio State has been so successful, and it's because of Larry Johnson. And it's why it's so interesting he hasn't been elevated relative to what you've seen with the other side of the ball and Brian Hartline, who sort of just by necessity was elevated into the play calling. And I'm I'm not sure if the play calling is still in dispute between him and Day at this point, but uh, Brian Hartline is the offensive coordinator of Ohio State after an unbelievable run of success in the receiving role, not in the same way that we've seen Larry Johnson perhaps if worthy of being elevated to defensive coordinator, didn't end up getting that. I don't know if Laurinaitis is going to be the successor to Knowles as you, know, you I think, have sort of been alluding to, but I'm, I'm encouraged by Larry Johnson, the standard that he set in terms of voluntarily taking less authority to improve the overall standard of success for the team. Laurinaitis coming in and seeing that, I think that's going to have a big effect. So I do expect him to have a very, very positive impact on this going forward because of what Larry Johnson has done for this university already. Well, first of all, let's two things. First of all, Larry Johnson is undefeated as an Ohio State head coach. I don't know if people remember <laughs> that, but he does have a perfect record. Uh, he's he's a perfect 1-0, so... You know, when Ryan Day wasn't able to uh, coach due to COVID protocols, he went out there during a Michigan State game and led Ohio State to victory over the Spartans of uh, East Lansing. So that was the all, only game I believe C.J. Stroud scored a touchdown run in ever. Was, uh, <laughs> I, that's, I think you're right. Yards, <laughs> a 49-yard touchdown run was first of his college career and then that's never right. again. Larry Johnson was like, ah, screw you, Ryan Day. We're doing this my way. I'll show you what this is like. Um, so that's, first of all, you know, again, Larry Johnson, legend. 
let's talk about James Laurinaitis. We 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 had a little bit later in the in the show on the on our list, but let's let's just bump that up to right now. There was an article uh, done by Dan, uh, Dan, our own Dan Hope, um, on the website talking about the kind of impact that James Laurinaitis has made, and the quotes from the rest of the team about what he's been able to do, how he's been able to gel and mesh with the rest of the team in such a short period of time, first of all, are not surprising to me. Like, I haven't personally met James Laurinaitis. He's been on the Dubcast before, I think. But everything I've ever heard about the dude, um, from firsthand accounts, from, you know, Bo Bishop, who obviously knows him very well, he is an incredibly solid guy. Like, just an unbelievably awesome dude in all, you know, instances of the word. And I love the quote here from Steel Chambers, another uh, five-star name. Uh, Whenever I first heard he was coming in, I looked at his resume, and it's freaking ridiculous, like something out of a movie. Um, A lot of what you say has more gravity to it, naturally, because we know as a group that you've been there, referring to Laurinaitis. uh, And this is the, the Tradition Talk series. You've gone through it. You've gone through all the struggles that we have, so it just has more gravity. It just means a lot to us. That's kind of what I'm getting at with all of this, which is, when you bring in a guy like Brian Hartline or James Laurinaitis, not only do you have the resume that these guys can take a look at and go, wow, these dudes kick ass. He's been in the NFL for a long time. You know, Laurinaitis is the you know, all-time leading tackler in, in uh, Rams history, for example. Um, they bring that aspect to it of the next level. But then on the other hand, they also just like the relatable dudes. And I think that's one of the biggest part about this. It's, it's not so much that you're bringing in like this hot shot coordinator that, you know, it, it's not a guy that was like a name that, okay, well, I'm going to be here for a couple of years and then I'm going to go coach a team. This is a dude who clearly knows his craft, is excellent at teaching his craft. And I think that just that creates so much more cohesion on the team in general. So I, I'm not surprised at all um, that Lauren Itis was able to do this and has been able to do this so quickly, but it's just an enormous asset. And I would not be surprised if you see sort of the same, you know, evolution in his career that you've seen with uh, Brian Hartline who Hartline. I mean, I think that dude's eventually going to go to the NFL. I think he's been pretty frank about saying that's, that's, you know, ultimately a goal he would like to have, but um, you know, if, if Lauren Itis can you know replicate even half of the success that uh, Hartline's had, I think we'll be pretty happy about it. I did uh, did a camp at Ohio State in 2010, I believe, which uh, for another time I've got an interesting story about how insane of a person Jacoby Boren is. Um, (laughs) But I had breakfast at the Blackwell with my father during that uh, time I was in Columbus and sitting at the table uh, next to us was Mr. James Laurinaitis. How awesome. Uh, a year into his career with the Rams, uh, not the not quite the season. I believe this was probably a month or two, maybe a little bit more before the season actually started. So this was him preparing to go on that, uh, I think it was four-year run, five-year run, six. I mean, he, he recorded over 100 tackles in i believe every season he played in the nfl actually he recorded like that's two of the two of the three years after that that i saw him at the blackwell he had two seasons where he recorded over 140 tackles i mean he and over 105 solo tackles in each of those seasons i don't he was 
I believe, the second leading tackler in 2010 or 2011. One of the seasons he got 140. But he was a guy who put up insane numbers but played on a super bad team. Right. There's a reason he had all those tackles. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. He was the most, yeah. He never got his roses when he was in the NFL, but he was an incredible player. And he had that insane run at Ohio State when he got interceptions, I think, in like the first four games or something like that. So he's he's a guy that was always beloved by this university and universally recognized as talented. And I just don't think he ever got his stage on a national like that was due to him. You know, he he's got such that. a fascinating story because of his his father. And I I think that he's really going to be set up for the second act to succeed in a way that he didn't get to become the the star in football. I think that he should have been that he based on how hard he worked and how he performed. I think eventually he I can see him having the same aspiration in terms of Heartline to get to that next level and be a success. I I actually think in many ways he could be one of the 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 best NFL coaching candidates Ohio State has produced long term. I'm I'm very very confident in, in that. Well, he's already he's already wearing the bucket hat, so you know he's like super serious about it, which is great. Um, that shows he's got the he's got the Larry Johnson bucket hat rocking, so you know he's he's all in. Good for um, the brand. That's right. And, you know, it's got to be camo, too. So there you go. Um, So I don't, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm curious to see how that translates in terms of, like, recruiting and whatnot. But it is pretty early, right? Like, it's it's, (laughs) as much as we're hyping him up right now. I mean, there's a long way to go. There's a lot you have to prove. And uh, honestly, the reason why Brian Hartline is who he is, the reason why Larry Johnson is, is who he is, is because of the production that we've seen from the positional groups that they were in charge of. So as, as great as, you know, James Laurinaitis is as a human being and as excited as that um, linebacker room is for him to be there, you know, you got to produce and you've got to make sure that you continue to be a strength of that defense. And they, they have improved quite a bit in the past couple seasons but you want to see that continue and get back to the point where Ohio State was at the linebacker uh, position when Laurinaitis was at Ohio State, right? When you had guys like AJ Hawk and Bobby Carpenter and you know Laurinaitis and all these other guys going through Brian Roll. I, I mean, I can go on forever and ever, um, and that kind of fell off a little bit after you know, like you know, the likes of Ryan Chazier. So um, you bring that back, you bring the silver bullets back because I think a lot of Ohio state's defensive identity is really kind of centered, like culturally centered around linebacking. Um, you know, because you think of guys going all the way back to like Spielman and, you know, all these other guys, Gradishar, like that's, that's something that I think Ohio state fans really want to see it, good running backs, great linebackers. And I think that that makes a lot of fans happy. So Merely we'll see good like running backs. Great running backs. The best running backs <laughs> in the country. But that's what I, you know, see what I'm saying though? Like that's, I, I feel like that forms the identity, even though that's not necessarily even the case of how Ryan Day structures his offense. I think a lot of Ohio state fans want to see top flight running backs, a great linebacking core. And then that's, that makes them feel that's their safety blanket. You know what I mean? That's their happy place i don't care who does it i just want to see dubs man (laughs) good 
point. I agree. All right. So yeah, James Laurinaitis, uh, one follows the other. I'm excited to see how that all plays out. We're going to do a complete whiplash year of a story, though. This is the other big-time story that's kind of come out, and I think it's something that needs to be uh, discussed a little bit. And, and, and We're not going to get super far into it, um, but you know, an ongoing legal story with Ohio State has been um, what's been happening with regards to uh, victims and, and, and people who were uh, you know, part of the whole Richard Strauss thing that happened at Ohio State. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of people over, you know, decades of this guy who was, uh, you know, just a real creep, victimized a lot of people. Um, and Ohio State uh, basically had kind of appealed this lower court ruling that said that former students would be able to sue Ohio State uh, for failing to protect them from from this guy, Richard Strauss, uh, this predator. And uh, SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, basically declined uh, to uh, reconsider that lower court ruling. So in other words, what's happened is that lower court ruled that these uh, you know, students, these former students can sue Ohio State, Ohio State appealed, Supreme Court declined to pick up that appeal. So that's it. After that, uh, that was pretty much it. And, um, you know, Ohio State in a statement said that, you know, the university is a fundamentally different place than it, uh, today than it was when Strauss was employed. And over the past 20 years, committed substantial resources to prevent and address sexual misconduct. Ohio State has also paid out, I think, something like $60 million already um, to uh, to the victims. Uh, it's roughly 300 people. Um, but, you know, I, I think this what this says, what this news says is that this is not the end of that um, story. And, you know, honestly, like, I, I don't really think it should be. I mean, if, if the abuse hasn't fully been explored and rectified, then I think the people who are the victims of it deserve uh, to have at least a day in court and, um, you know, kind of bring that stuff to, to the attention of, you know, not just Ohio State, but the media and everybody else. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, this is not a story. I know that Ohio State would probably prefer it to be a story that's over, but it's not. And, um, you know, I think the people who get to decide when it's finally finished are the victims of, of Richard Strauss. So yeah. um, it's a, it's, it's an ongoing thing and we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of um, Michigan fans that are eager to draw the parallel between what happened with Robert Anderson and uh, sure. what's going on here. I, I think it's important to remember that there was a, there was an element of the, the coach, enabling what happened there for the purpose of having players available for important games mm -hmm. that didn't doesn't exist with what happened at uh, Ohio State that's not to excuse um, the behavior in either circumstance but I in drawing that parallel I think as you mentioned there's been 60 million that's been paid out already um, and I believe that the Robert Anderson victims got something of a total of $400 million. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to monitor. That was what the final payout was for that number. And then, you know, that makes the Schembechler involvement in that story quietly go away. And now everybody's all giddy about the football program after two sure, yeah. Ohio State up there. So it's funny how money talks. Right. Um, I will so say it'll be that, interesting to see how much money makes this problem go away is what I'm basically. Getting. Yeah. And like I said, I think I think the victims are entitled to whatever they want, honestly. Um, but here's what I'll say. So this is from there was a law firm that did kind of an investigation on this 
one of the quotes from the report was that many of the students felt that Strauss's behavior was a quote, open secret as it appeared to them that their coaches, trainers, and other team physicians were fully aware of Strauss's activities and yet few seemed inclined to do anything to stop it. Now we have people at Michigan who are like specifically naming, you know, their legendary coach and, and implicating him that kind of abuse. Um, I, here's what I'll say. I don't have any information whatsoever about any particulars of, of, you know, coaches and trainers or anything like that. I will say that if Ohio state and Ohio state fans and, you know, beyond want to take this seriously, if someone in the process of this you know, lawsuit or however it works out, somebody says like Woody Hayes or, you know, somebody other, you know, somebody else is really beloved at Ohio state, you know, was somehow implicated in this. then that's something we have to take seriously and not be like, you know, another program who goes, oh, well, there's no way. No, because we love this guy so much. And I would be surprised just because of the kind of guy Woody Hayes. That does not sound like something he would, you know, he would he would find acceptable. But on the other hand, a lot of people said that about Bo Beckler. So it's just one of those things where I think we have to keep our head on a swivel and not pretend like it's something that just can't happen at Ohio State. Because it did. And it could potentially get worse the more things come out. So that's just something that I think people need to be aware of. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm not going to go to extend it into other athletic departments. I, I believe Strauss. This was mostly concerned with uh, members of the wrestling team. Yeah, there was a lot of wrestling going. Yeah, that was that was a big part of it. Um, but you know, you never know what what might come out. That's all. That's all I'm saying is that whatever the particulars are, it just can't be a situation where Ohio State or Ohio State fans, you know, like want to be automatically defensive. I think we yeah, need to look. No, I, I, I think we, we live in a time where uh, it's, you know, the people assume guilt over innocence and that that's not the standard that, you know, we, right. we built this country on. I think that we need to be conscious of the fact that this is now the fourth major athletic department in the big 10 to be caught up in a scandal like this between Michigan state and mm-hmm. Penn state and Michigan. And now in Columbus at Ohio state right. dating back several decades. So this, and that's, and, the, and these are just the stories that we know about. And I think that for a lot of fans, it would be very, you know, fans, alumni, anybody that, is uh you know aligned with Ohio State's brand it's it's important for you to keep a very um i think just just be willing to put yourself in the perspective of of victims when you're when you're thinking about this primarily before you try to form an opinion so yeah, i uh, i agree with that there's still more details that are going to come out and with those details coming out that affect victims i think people you know mostly we're, we're talking about it because we're on a podcast about Ohio State athletics and we don't want to ignore something that's a uh, very transparent issue with, um, you know, what needs to be addressed. But I, I think in terms of other fans going on to form an opinion and talk about this in other circles of sports as this gets raised by Michigan fans and everything – try to just approach forming your opinions about this from the perspective of the victims that have already been acknowledged by the university as having suffered by what has taken place. So just keep that in mind above all else. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and get into uh, the less the less uh, dour part of the program. This is ask us anything. So let's let's answer literally anything and remind you. We want to remind you that you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com um, and uh, we will we will go ahead and answer them because that's, that's what we're all about. Um, all right, here. This first one here is from our good friend Alvin who wants to know uh, Zuckerberg versus Elon, who you got? Oh, my God. <clears throat> and, the, it's... And, the, and the grudge match of the century, which I don't really know too many of the details on this. You're the you're the mixed martial arts guy, so are they going to, like, what are we doing? Like, Brazilian jiu-jitsu? How is this working out? I, I, well, here's the thing. I've already been asked about this by both Dan and Griffin, and, and <laughs> uh, it's it's very funny uh, because the expectation is that Zuckerberg would be, would be lined as a very, very heavy betting favorite which I can appreciate because the age gap is heavily in favor of Zuckerberg as well as Zuckerberg already regularly trains Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. And Musk, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, if you've seen Kanye West's final tweet on Twitter, that's uh, the picture of Musk on the boat with his shirt off, you know what kind of shape Musk is in before he even starts training with, you know, UFC legends. Um, I I I wouldn't bet that fight because it's a fight between two old men and anything can happen and usually nothing happens. But I would caution um, that... You know, even though I don't know if you've seen the Simpson episode where they make the joke about uh, BJJ, where they have, uh, I don't know, it's the guy that grew up in love with Marge and he he challenges Homer to a fight, but he's trained in jujitsu and he goes, crawl atop me and you will meet your doom. It's like, yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of the Zuckerberg path to victory against a guy with like Musk's size advantage. And, you know, it is position over submission is the way that. The, the technical martial arts connoisseurs tend to approach their evaluation of so you're going to go with the betting favorite here then is what you're saying i think it well the age gap when i look at like evaluating fights the biggest variable is the age gap and it's so heavily in favor of zuckerberg a guy that's already training that it's like you you have to imagine that he's going to be able to submit musk inside of five minutes we already are thinking that musk isn't going to fight because he'd rather haggle with the twitter community and he finds that more entertaining right. so if he he's if he's doing all of this for attention you know credit to him it's working but uh you know i zuckerberg is the guy that's already doing jujitsu tournaments he doesn't have to psych himself up for something like this so if it happens give me the zuck all the way yeah i'll have to i agree with that zuckerberg is like i looked up his height he's like five seven five eight i think so reach might be an issue um elon musk is almost like six two so that might be the Somewhat. guys that invented jujitsu were built just like Zuckerberg. This That's is the point. reason that he trains it. Like he, he's go. like, I've, In I've found the month. cool combat sport for the men of, for this. There's UFC Silicon Valley. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's, he's going to be headlining it. There you go. If you don't, if you cannot defeat me, you will get. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be the debut of the men's atom weight class at 115 pounds. Oh, they usually only, or wait no, I think I think straw weight is 115 for women. Atom weight is 105, but there there's no there's no men's atom weight class because right. You know. That would be a very tiny man. Zuckerberg. You know what? 
though. Well, Zuck, you know, I, first of all, he's got those dead eyes. See, I'm not even going to approach it from like a pure sports perspective. He just has those dead eyes and he looks like a shark and he looks terrifying. Musk is just kind of like, What a mean thing to say about someone. I'm just, that's what he looks like, dude. You ever seen him eat a piece of bread? It's terrifying. So I, here's what I think. I've I seen think him talk with are... great passion about barbecue, I, I believe. <laughs> oh my God. He's, he, he, listen, he, you, he, he got quick, to the end quick. of the social network and then he started doing jujitsu and barbecue. And, That's and, right. Uh, because he's, he saw that because Jesse Eisenberg made him look like a punk and he was like, no, 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 I'm a well-rounded individual. And then he made those videos with him, like really like smoking a, I don't know, like a butt or something. And then. Yeah, it, it, he's trying to be a normal dude. He's not a normal dude. He's a psychopath. He's a normal think- guy that trains jujitsu and like smoked meats. I don't. I leave <laughs> leave the Zuck alone. I well, my it, point is Musk is the villain here in the Facebook Twitter battle. Let's no, I be don't honest. disagree. We know who the heel is. No, I don't disagree. But my point is, is that I think the reason why Zuckerberg is going to win is because he's secretly insane. Elon Musk is just a is he's a troll. He's like a big tubby troll. And that's his role. That's all he can do. He is not a guy that I fear if I were walking down the street. Like I'm, I'm, you know, like six. I'm about his height. I'm, I'm about You're more feet. afraid of Zuck than you are of Musk. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Absolutely. Because Zuck. Because here's the thing. Again, Mark Zuckerberg is a predict, unpredictable, crazy man who I think if he snaps, he'll just like annihilate a village or something like that. Elon Musk, you can you can sweet talk, you can bribe. He's this is a guy who's on Twitter negotiating with his own users about how he should ruin his own social media network. Yeah, I'm that guy worried. is more threatening than a five seven dude that's stuck in the metaverse half of the time. Now, You're more threatened now. by that guy. Oh, absolutely, because that person's crazy. I don't, I don't know. Elon Musk, I'm not worried about at all. I would, I have no fear. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No way, because that's that's just the the crazy like Toby dude. Yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about him. Um, all right, so Kevin Sweeney, this is from Kevin who wants to know, uh, or he says, guys, I think it's crazy that in 2023 we're talking about 2025 football recruits. Do you think football recruits will get younger and younger? You know what, Ohio State. I, I know we used to do like jokes and stuff about, oh yeah, you know Lane Kiffin going after this like 12 year old and getting to recruit Tennessee and blah blah. Ohio State is starting to look at guys from, like Kevin points out, 2025 recruiting class. Do you think that's going to be a trend, particularly as they try to get these kids locked into things like NIL and, you know, beyond? Uh, I want, there's a topic I want to bring up so bad that you've you've blacklisted on the dubcast. <laughs> I'm trying bad. to find the right way to, to hit at it. So <laughs> trying to get around we, it. There's a, it's a certain uh, infant... Uh, future nfl hall of fame tight end i can't invoke the name because then we're going to get an email at the dubcast uh, address from his father asking to come on but yeah we're good (laughs) johnny's terrified um but no that the reason i invoke that is because that speaks to this you know what we've just been asked i don't like the whole media climate around recruiting period. I think it's weird that we obsess over the decision-making of teenagers to the (laughs) point that there are entire forums of adults dedicated to yelling at each other about it. Right now I'm very grateful for the service that Garrick 
Hodge provides 11 warriors because he is a guardian of truth. We need people like that because this is basically a necessary evil at this point with the football world evolving in the media space that we have. Mm -hmm. We're going to need people that just effectively give us the facts. And I'm very grateful that Garrick does that for us. The problem is we have a lot of people that want to build their credibility by being the first guy to correctly speculate on what a teenager is going to decide to do with their earliest stage of their adult lives. That is something that can change with the direction of the wind. Right. And that is something that in a very volatile, I need to you know, prove I'm credible space, that can get twisted and lead to a lot of ugly different situations. So I don't like that we're getting out to 2025. This is something that was happening 10 years ago with basketball recruits. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very nervous about that trend carrying over into football because I hadn't seen that we were starting to obsess over middle school football players. We just knew that there's too much that can shift around during puberty. Injuries can end up affecting development. I mean, guys tear their ACL in high school, and then they're never the same again. You can't give a scholarship to a guy in eighth grade who might blow out both of his knees due to nothing that might be his own fault. So I, I don't like the way things are heading and I saw it a long time ago and I do think it's only going to get worse because of social media and the way the climate is headed. So I'm grateful for people like Garrick because of that. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, obviously we devoted like the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the Dubcast day talking about a recruit. And that's, I'm not saying that that's like something we shouldn't do or shouldn't talk about. I think that is important and relevant and it's news and it's obviously, you know, something that gets people excited and is important to Ohio state football but I, I I agree with you the the atmosphere, the attitude around it sometimes is it, you know from a fan perspective sometimes I think it can get just overly aggressive. It's I think toxic. It's, yeah, it can get toxic. And then from a reporting perspective, I, I think there is a way to do it in a way that's respectful and you know respects the kids' privacy and also their ability to change their mind if they want, and that's that's perfectly acceptable. And then there's also a way to do it that makes it more lurid and, you know, like gossipy. And that's unfortunately when you're when you're dealing with teenagers of any age, I think that's kind of scummy when they're like, you know, 13, 14 years old. I think it gets even worse. Right. Like we're not talking about high school seniors. We're talking about like middle schoolers. And again, practically, it's it's all bad if it becomes gossipy and, you know, really crappy in that way. But the younger it is, it just seems like really just a crappy way to go about it. And um, hopefully that's not where it ends up, you know, being. And, and even in basketball, like you said, I think part of it when you've got the AAU circuit and that just starts younger and younger and younger with these kids, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Um, I don't think you'll necessarily see that with football just because logistically, as you pointed out, it's, it's not super practical. But like, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't see any incentive to stop the recruiting like cycle at, you know, 16. I don't think everybody's just going to agree with them each other and be like, no, okay, we won't, we won't do this. Right. We're not going to do it with younger kids because you know, that's gross or whatever. I, I think if people see that there's money to be made, uh, they'll, they'll try to do that. And I think it's incumbent on fans to kind of reject it and be like, no, 
there's there's a point to which we don't really need to have that information. I was going to make a joke about how LSU starts like conditioning Louisiana children as soon as they like come out of the womb. But number (laughs) one, I mean, Ohio State kind of does the same thing over at the the Wexner Center, I think, with the the, especially the Michigan Michigan babies, I believe. They there's a special bunch. Right. And that, but then I also remembered, uh, you know, Livy Dunn's been helping LSU out with stuff like that recently, too, as I alluded yep. to at the start of this uh, question. So, <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks, George. Um, all right. Last one here. This is from Joshua F. What is your favorite part of the 4th of July in two days? We got 4th of July. What's your favorite part? Um, I've been very, very, like, I, I, I've only rented. I've never actually owned any property in my life, but I'm I'm young. I'm not even thirty yet, so I'm I'm gonna get to home ownership at some point. But everywhere that I've rented, I've I've been very grateful to live, you know, pretty high up. I'm I've been eleven floors up to watch the fireworks across the Midwestern horizon in Illinois with like no obstructed sight line or anything and i just i've been able to just stare into the void and see fireworks like explosions happening like and just for miles on off and it's an unbelievable image it's like the most incredible fireworks display you've ever seen and then i got to do it again uh last year when i uh moved to miami and i was looking at the uh, western horizon of south florida now I live facing Biscayne Bay, and I'm going to get to see all of Miami Beach setting up fireworks in two days. And I'm I'm 35 floors up, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use my my dubcast camera that hasn't made its official debut yet, and I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a nice time lapse of the that'd fireworks. Be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely have to do that. That'll be sick. That'll yeah. be awesome. Yeah, 100. I would love to see that. Um. You know, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't. I really don't like red, white, and boom. Uh, it's just too many people. It's, it's oh, we too... love booms. We were talking about booms on the dubcast. Well, to start. I do love booms, and I love the colors red and white and blue. But um, the actual red, white, and boom. Not a huge fan of the event, but I do love fireworks. And my family used to do a thing uh, down in Southwest Ohio near uh, Springboro, where my aunt and uncle lived, and they would they would drop three, four, five grand on fireworks like every 4th of July. And we'd set them off in the backyard and it was sick. It was awesome. So I love stuff like that. I always look for those kind of family gatherings. Um, that's a lot of fun to me. I, you know, we're, uh, we're all kind of spread out. The Genders have all kind of spread out um, in the past few years, but my, my dream is to one day, maybe we'll all be able to get back together, drop an obscene amount of money on some semi-legal fireworks and just, you know, have a great time for like three or four hours. So I'm all about it. Uh, I think it's pretty fun. You know, I can I can gorge myself on on bad food pretty much at any time. I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want with my money. Uh, but the fireworks stuff that's that's special for the Fourth of July. So I enjoy that quite a bit. Um, so yeah, great questions this week. Thanks for sending them in. Uh, remind you that you can send them to Dubcast at elevenwarriors.com. It's the off season. This is our lifeblood. We appreciate it. Uh, so we want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Um, Drygoods.11warriors.com. Uh, let's do a couple things on our way out of here. First of all, some NBA news. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is going to stay with 
the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm a little surprised by that. He had a two-year, $37 million contract. I'm also surprised by that. And uh, then uh, Kata Bates-Diop is going to be with the Phoenix Suns. I, I really want to talk about D.A.R. Um, returning to the Lakers because that dude was terrible in the postseason for them. Uh, he was he was awful uh, as they were playing the Nuggets. And, and I don't think he's the reason why they lost that series, but he was a large part of it. Um, and I'm surprised that they're bringing him back for two years and what, like, you know, $18 million a pop, $18.5 million a pop. That's I great. love it as the Why? number one certified LeBron James hater in okay. the United States. Okay. It is a Why? wonderful decision by Mr. Rob Palenka. Oh, my God. I don't – like, okay, this is our starting point guard. Like, I don't get it, dude. Uh, he's – and look – I want to see D'Angelo do really well in the NBA. I'm not, like, crapping on the dude for no reason. I think when he's good, he's really fun to watch. But he just seemed completely in over his head in that playoff series. And it was, I mean, I think he was, like, I don't know what his cumulative negative number on that was, but it had to have been, like, 70 or 80. It was wild. I I love this because I wanted the world for D'Angelo Russell when he was at Ohio State. That pass he made in the Northwestern game was one of the most glorious passes I've ever seen in any basketball game in my life from any player, not just a Buckeye. And when he got to the NBA and he was with the Lakers, as I talked about last week when we were trying to figure out what is Sensabaugh's development arc going to be with the Jazz – we were encouraged by the fact that he's not going to have a super high amount of competition for like ball control touches. He will be able to get his usage rate up. D'Lo needs a high usage rate to do well. That's not something that he got when he was a rookie. It compromised his development arc in that young stage of his career. He had to go elsewhere in order to blossom into the player that could earn an, a contract like this. But another big reason he fell out of Los Angeles to begin with is because Magic Johnson, who was the general manager at the time, threw a ton of unnecessary shade on him. And I think that that has a big impact on you when you're a young player, when a guy who's one of the best ever at that same position you play, who's in a position of authority on the team that drafts you, directly spits in your face like that. And then is out of a job a year later after it's already, you know, taken away the opportunity for you to succeed. So I will be rooting for D'Angelo Russell to do as well as he can. But I know that because of the way the Lakers treated him on the way in the first time, that he is not set up for a success, like long-term success in this position. It's not a healthy dynamic that they've, you know, reconciled their differences and because of that I don't think that this is going to be good for the Lakers which means it's bad for LeBron James and it's bad (laughs) for Laker fans who are the most egotistical driven in sports other than the Green Bay Packers fans shout out to my Bears Uh hive such as Mr. Garrick Hodge and I love this as the number one LeBron hater as I referenced to this is not going to help at all this is great Eat your heart out, Cleveland. 
Um, yeah, so all that, I, you know, I'm not a LeBron hater, but I, you know, if, if you were one, I understand how this has read me. Interesting thing. Okay, so KBD is over there with the Phoenix Suns. This is an interesting landing spot for him because you've obviously got Kevin Durant there. They just signed Eric Gordon, who dude's like 34, and he's only going to give you like maybe 10 to 15 a night, like in terms of points. Um, but they got Bradley Beal. They got, they got some interesting players on that team. They're not going to win a championship, I don't think. Um, but that will be, I think, a better landing spot than maybe some people realize for KBD. And I think, hopefully, I mean, you talk about usage rate, I don't think he's going to get a lot of it. But um, I think that there are worse places for him to land right now. I think that that's not a bad place for him. So I, I wish him the best. I hope that it goes well and he's able to kind of, you know, continue doing what he's doing. Um, They're going to need him to guard Jamal Murray because no one else is going to do it. And well, they're already going to have enough trouble with Jokic. So I don't think this is good long-term for the Suns, but there's definitely a, a, a need that Bates Diop yes. can fill for them. Absolutely. Um, all right. Another piece of news here. Ohio State is going to scarlet the shoe uh, against Penn State, which – Yay. First of all, everybody at Ohio State wears red anyway. Red. Exactly. No, I didn't want to say Scarlet twice. That's why I said it. They everybody already, but somebody they already wear uniform. Everybody already wears uniforms in Scarlet when they go to the games to begin with. So I don't understand why you have to do that. Secondly, the blackout is right there. It's sitting right there. Right? Like I don't get it. That. First of all, it's super – people were skeptical when they did it the first time and it ended up being kick-ass. I was at that first blackout game that they did against Penn State, and it was awesome. I was like, there's no way in hell people are going to follow along. You, you, telling Ohio State fans what to do in mass is like hurting cats. Like you can't, you can't expect them to do something that you ask them to do. But when they did it, it was awesome, and I don't understand why you would leave that on the table. It's super cool. It's like awesome. Just do a black – anytime Penn State comes in, blackout. That's it. Do it. I don't get the Scarlet Out thing. I think it's dumb. It's cooler when they announce it like the week of the game because I think also agree. Yeah, more excited when they do it like months. It's it's July. It was June when they announced. Who cares right yeah, now? Like I, you take all of the excitement out of it when you make it this scheduled event. When you right. announce it the week of the game, when you're getting the promo run going. That's one of the things that gets students excited. If they know they're planning for it months in advance, no one's going to care. My guess is even though they – like, I would think less people would actually participate because it's a, a scheduled, more formal event right. now than when it gets perceived as this spur-of-the-moment exciting, let's do this as a group to support our team thing. So I don't, I don't like rolling it out this early at all. I think it takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of the experience. Yeah, I, I, like I said, first of all, everybody wears Scarlet anyway. Secondly, uh, do the blackout. And I agree with you. Do it the week of. Get people hyped for it. Make it fun. Um, yeah, blackout so much more fun. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Uh, last one here. This is what we'll go out on. ESPN had some pretty massive layoffs. Um, you got, I mean, you got to free up money to pay Pat McAfee. Um a lot of dudes are out. Jeff Van Gundy is out. Max Kellerman is out. Keyshawn Johnson is out. Susie Colbert, which is insane, is out. Todd McShay is out. And then, funny to me uh, and you, is Jalen Rose being out. But a lot uh-huh. yeah, they cut a lot of people. Uh, I'm, I mean, Susie Colbert leaving, that that really sucks. I mean, she's she's been solid and amazing. Uh, guys she's like, like Steve so Young, she, She's like 
other than Berman, she, like her, she is synonymous with ESPN's NFL brand for me. Like I agree, the Absolutely. set number two below Berman. So the fact that she's gone, I think, speaks to that that company is committing itself to influencers over journalists at this point in terms of where they're taking the direction yeah. of their media, but. That makes the departure of Jalen Rose interesting because I believe his contract was handed out around the same time that Stephen A. Smith got his enormous deal. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Stephen A. Smith obviously, you know, get the they've gotten the bang for their buck with that, even though he That's got right. more money than almost anyone. But you compare that to Jalen Rose, who got a bag full of money and then went on the show that he hosts and told his soon-to-be-divorced wife that people are only faithful as their options. You know, I I can see why they decided to move on from a a Michigan man of such esteemed character. So we are indeed dancing on his grave. That's Which I don't don't really feel bad about. Uh, Also gone, David Pollack, uh, if you've seen him on uh, ESPN College Game Day, uh, not a loss in my opinion, not huge fan of that dude uh he's just kind of to me a blank slate you know the thing to me i understand espn does this periodically where we look at guys and and see who they've retained and who they've cut and i don't know i understand that these these contracts that they have for these media personalities are huge but i also don't know why they gave them to them in the first place like what what are they really getting back Right. Because Pat McAfee, I think the article that I'm looking at mentions that he's getting like eighty five million dollars. But I understand you're trying to cut cut costs. Maybe don't give him eighty five million dollars. Maybe give Pat McAfee fifty million. I don't know. I feel like there's a way that you can keep some of these guys who actually add value like Susie Colbert and not have to and maybe cut some of the the detritus without having to, you know, get rid of people who, you know, kind of have established your brand over the years. I just, it seems very odd to me that they go about it this way um, where they like put all their chips in on one dude and then say, okay, but we got to, we got 20 people we got to let go. And if it happens to be really good people, then who cares? It just, it seems to be a really ass backwards way of going about it. No, it worked with Jalen Rose. Oh, that's right. that's right. Exactly. That's my point. That's my point. Because if in two years, Pat McAfee says something insane or people start to hate his shtick or something like that, well, then you just dumped tens of millions of dollars in this guy for no reason. Like, I don't, Desmond I don't get Howard, the bell tolls for thee. No, he's, he's, that dude's going to stick around forever. And you know what? He's going to, they've got their core. And that's the thing about Pollock on game day. They, they've got their core, right? That they're going to keep around forever. They, they, they just let the bear walk too. He's gone I too. I know, but I think I think I think Howard has like wormed his way in to where he's like basically the big three now as as part of that. Um, whenever you know they get rid of you know anybody else, there I, I don't think that he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be top of the list. At least I really we don't. have Kirk. At least we got Kirk. There you go. That's what I always say. Uh, so that's the Dumbcast for this week. Uh, We'll keep monitoring all the news, Ohio State and otherwise, uh, and we'll be back next time. So until then, I'm Johnny.